1: Today's show is brought to you by Social Media Marketing World 2018, the mega conference for you, and it's literally just around the corner. I'm really excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Amy Porterfield, and we're going to explore how to market and sell using webinars. If you have struggled to successfully use webinars like I have, then you're going to want to hear what Amy has to say. By the way, email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com, and that'll come right to my inbox. With that, let's transition over to this week's brand new discovery.
0: Helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip.
1: This week, I'm joined by
0: Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? I found a cool tool that lets you analyze your Twitter and Instagram followers called Social Rank. Social Rank. Tell me more. Yeah, so one of the things we you know may not know a lot about is the people who follow us, like how influential they are, uh, you know, it, it, when it comes to our Twitter and our Instagram followers. But Social Rank allows you to connect up your accounts to this, and then you can sort them by most valuable, which is like your most influential followers, uh, your most engaged. So frequency of engagement, like retweets, mentions, replies likes and comments and tags on Instagram um, and even something they call best followers, which is kind of a combination of most valuable and most engaged, like I just uh, described. And it's pretty cool. So for people who you know, have a ton of followers or who are following a ton of people, which that's the great thing is you can kind of you can flick that toggle so you can analyze people you're following or you can f- analyze people that are following you. Interesting. This is a this is a really cool tool for just analyzing your followers in both those uh, social networks, Twitter and Instagram.
1: And for someone like us who has over a half a million followers on Twitter, I would imagine it's not going to analyze all half a million. Um, do you, does it go back just for a period of time, or do you have any idea of how that works?
0: No, it goes all the way back, but it it what it'll do it'll take a while to you know sit there and analyze it. So I set it up to analyze mine, and I had to come back in about a half hour, and I I you know I was I can't remember how many I had, but anyways, uh, once I did though, I came back and I was like, oh, there, they all are." So I ranked them, and I was like, "Oh, interesting! I've got some pretty influential people following me that I didn't, wasn't aware of."
1: So, th- so this is a uh, web-based service. It sounds like yeah,
0: yeah, it's a web-based service. It's and uh, you go there and you can log in, and, and there are different tiers. So that you know, there's a free tier which gets you the ability to you know filter and search and even sort your followers. You can connect multiple accounts. And you can even vo- uh, view the full uh, follower, or sorry, full profile of those followers or people that you're following. And then you go up to like higher up tiers and you get to the point where you can like create reports and export them as either CSVs or uh, PDFs, those kinds of things. If you want to, you know, hey, I did a report based on how many people that are, we're following, and here's our most influential. so now we can go after them kind of a thing. Can but you, again, if you're on the basic, you can still see that and you get the information.
1: Do you know whether it allows you to like analyze over certain time frames, so for example, uh, in the last 30 days, these this is the profile of the new followers on Instagram and Twitter or something like that.
0: Uh, that that is an interesting idea. It doesn't really give me a time frame. It gives me more like like I can go I can give you a bunch of a rundown here like there's different like bio keywords I can search for. I can filter by location um posting frequency hmm. even uh, number of followers in other words how many of my followers what's the rank of how many followers they have um what else even even uh if they're verified or not
1: huh fascinating uh now i know twitter does provide some of these kinds of analytics out of the gate in their analytics don't they provide you kind of your most Engaged followers or largest. Th- is, doesn't some of this sound a little familiar with what Twitter does with their analytics?
0: Um, you can, yes, actually, you can get some of that. And in fact, you can do some of that based on date inside of Twitter. Right. For sure. Uh, this is more of an overall kind of a macro view tool. Got it. So
1: awesome. So um, where do we find out more?
0: So you find out more at
1: socialrank.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. You're welcome. It's kind of hard to believe that we are literally practically spitting distance from social media marketing world. Now, if as you're listening to this, it's a little too late for you to travel to San Diego for this conference. I just want to encourage you that... We have unbelievable content that you can get through the virtual ticket. So if you've been struggling to deal with the whole Facebook zero, Facebook apocalypse thing, and or you want to get into Facebook advertising or bots or live video, and you know you need training, you got to check out socialmediaworld18.com, socialmediaworld18.com. You go under the agenda menu and you click on virtual tickets and you can find the recordings for the entire conference available to you. All right, well, let's now transition over to this week's interview with Amy Porterfield.
0: Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide.
1: Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Amy Porterfield. If you don't know who Amy is, she's an online marketing expert and host of the awesome online marketing made easy podcast, which I strongly recommend. Her course is called webinars that convert Amy. Welcome back to the show.
2: Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here.
1: Today, Amy and I are going to explore how to use webinars to market and sell your products and services. And I don't think I've covered this topic before, so it's super exciting to have you come on and talk about this. So Amy, um, I'd love to go back in the time machine. I know we've known each other for a long time, and I don't know exactly the story. So I'd love to find out like, what got you into webinars. What's the genesis story of Amy and webinars?
2: Oh, gosh. Well, it's not a really good story to be quite honest, but here's what happened. When I was still working with Tony Robbins back in my corporate days, we decided to do a webinar where he charged $100 for each registrant. I mean, he's Tony, so he can get away with that. And about 800 people paid $100 to be on this webinar. Now, back in the day, this is a long time ago, Tony had never done a webinar before. I had definitely never done one. And so the night before we were practicing and we were using GoToWebinar, which is a tool that's really popular for webinars, and he was at his house. I was still at the office. It was like 10 o'clock at night, and we were just practicing, and after we practiced, I hit a button to end the practice, and Tony said to me, Amy, why did I just get an email that said, this webinar has been canceled? And I'm thinking, "What? Oh my gosh. No way." I'm sure and he was I I, I'm
1: not sure he was quite that polite, right?
2: <laughs> Probably not. It was a very stern Amy, and so I thought, "No way, no way." And I looked, and I had deleted the webinar and all 800 paying customers what? got an email that night saying, "This has been canceled." So, to say the least, I lost a few years off my life that night because I was panicked. I was young. I was trying to make a good impression. I screwed up big time and I was so nervous. And so, we basically stayed up all night, not Tony, but the team. And we worked with GoToWebinar to piece it all back together. And by morning, when the sun started coming up, everyone had gotten an email saying, okay, actually, it wasn't canceled. We're still good to go. Everything's on. But I literally was a nervous wreck. And in that moment, I really thought I hated webinars. I just never wanted to even have anything to do with one again. But the webinar went off after that without a hitch. It was a huge success. I realized how awesome it was that we could connect at this level. It was more personal than anything we had done before. And quite honestly, I became hooked. So when I went off on my own about a year later to do my own thing, webinars became my staple. They became that number one way that I promoted my online courses. And I've I've had even more snafus since then, but I've had more wins than losses. So I'm a big fan to say the least.
1: What year was that uh, when you started, when you went off on your own? Do you remember? Was it like 2010 yeah. or something like
2: that? 2010 was my first webinar. Yep. Good memory.
1: Yeah. Well, that's because remember I was one of your clients back then. <laughs> yes.
2: So it's, we were working together. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, okay. So 2010, you went off on your own and like share more of the story, like between then and now what's happened with Amy and webinars?
2: Oh, you know, it's, I have this personality especially in my business, when something works, I just find a way to make it better and better and I don't chase the next shiny thing. So I have been doing webinars since then and for every single one of my live launches. Now, truth be told, there was one live launch that I did a three-part video series, but I still added webinars after the video series. And I just feel that webinars are a great way to teach as well as to sell. And I love giving before I ever ask for anything in return. And I feel that this is a platform that you can give, give, give in, let's say, 60 minutes where you could wow people. And I have got this motto over the years as I've gotten better at my webinars and I've been able to align the free content with the pitch and all that good stuff. I developed this motto. And I always say no matter if they buy or not, they walk away today feeling excited, inspired, and driven to take action, no matter if they buy or not. And I say this motto out loud before I go on any live webinar. And it always puts me in that place that I'm here to give. And there's a lot of times that I ask in my business. I promote a lot. But webinars allow me to slow down and just really make an impact before I ask for anything in return. So that's why I've been using them over and over again. So we've built a multi-million dollar business primarily based on webinar promotions.
1: That's awesome. So what I want to spend the rest of this interview talking about is really how to use webinars to market and sell. Uh, product services or whatever, whatever you want to sell. And I will confess, I've tried and failed over and over again with webinars. So this is why I've got Amy on, because I feel like I'm a good salesperson, but I know that there's actually a process, a proven process that works. And we're going to dig into some of that stuff uh, today. So um, first of all, let's start with, um, you know, can anything be sold on a webinar? Because I think that's worth talking about. Some stuff probably can't be, right?
2: Right. I think it's a really good question. I think some webinar experts would say, heck yeah, you could sell anything on a webinar. I don't come from that school of thought. I believe that pre-recorded online courses sell really well on a webinar. So let's say you have a course for a thousand bucks. It does really well on a webinar. Um, because it's an easier sell. You could break down what's included in the course, you could talk about how they can get it right away, you've got a link, they go sign up, boom, they've got your course. Another thing that sells well on webinars are live online workshops. Let's say you want to put together a two-hour live workshop, or even a summit that maybe is over the next six weeks live one-hour workshops every week. Those sell well on webinars as well, because they're signing up, they're getting it right away, they're diving in with you, and it's it's a really seamless sell from a webinar. Also, coaches and consultants, if you put together packages, it really has to do with that offer. So if you put together packages of your coaching services or your consulting services, those tend to sell well on a webinar as well. So putting together some kind of package could be really advantageous as well. What I don't think always sells well on a webinar are live events, like physical live events. I've seen it done, but more often than not, it's it's a challenging sell. I would probably choose a different strategy strategy to sell.
1: Yeah, and I can state, you know, we tried to use webinars to sell social media marketing world and it just it didn't work for us. And we had, you know, an amazing um, guy that we hired named Tim Page who's Love him. unbelievably good and it just didn't work. I'm even wondering whether you can sell physical products with webinars. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I mean,
2: great point. I forgot to even mention that because I never ever promote physical products on a webinar. I think that's even more of a difficult sell. It's not that it can't be done, but there's other smarter strategies that work better for physical products and live events versus webinars. So it's important to kind of think about what you're selling first before you get into this arena.
1: So if what I hear you is if you're selling knowledge, which is a big chunk of my listener base,
2: Mine too.
1: Um, you're selling courses, you're selling consulting, you're selling, uh, live trainings where someone could, you know, essentially continue to learn in the same medium that they're in, in the first place when they're watching the webinar, that seems to be the closest match you've seen for conversions. Is that a fair assessment? hundred percent. Okay, good. So, um, let's move into some of my questions. Um, I've heard that not everybody shows up and I've experienced that myself. So I'd love to hear like, what's the, you know, for every hundred people that sign up, how many actually show up typically? And then is there stuff we can do to increase the likelihood that someone would show up to our actual live webinar?
2: Oh, such a good question. I love this one. So on average, we typically hear that about 20% of the people that register for your webinar will actually show up live. Wow. And that number to me is just way too low. And there's many steps you can take to increase that number. My goal is always to see 40% show up live. Hmm. If you've got 40% showing up live, you're doing really, really well. And so in order to get that percentage up, there's a few things. Number one, most people, when they're going to do a webinar, will run. Facebook ads or even now Instagram ads or Insta story ads. And that's a great strategy. I think everybody should dabble with Facebook advertising, especially when running a webinar. But the ticket is how far in advance are you going to start those ads? So what we do is typically about 10 days before the webinar, we start testing our ads, but we really ramp it up between five to three days before the webinar. The closer someone signs up for your webinar to the actual live event date, the more likely they are to show up live. Hmm. And so if I showed up 10 days ago, it's kind of lost the the, um, excitement that I had when I first signed up. But the closer to the actual date, the better. And so I really bump up my ad spend Five to three, between five and three days before the actual webinar. So that's one thing to think about.
1: Okay, real quick on that. So that's assuming you're going after a cold audience, right? Or is that also is that any audience that you're going after? With, with I really do it
2: any audience. I don't even go after my own email list sooner than seven days.
1: Really? Okay, good.
2: Yeah. So a lot of people like to get, they like to give their audience two weeks in advance. The people will sign up, but again, you're going to see that show up rate drop. So you really have to just go for a concentrated time. So 10 days at the most, seven days is that sweet spot.
1: Okay, good. You were going to say something else.
2: Um, another thing is that when you are, um, getting people, when you want people to show up live, you want to focus on what I call a pre-webinar email sequence. And this one's a biggie. And so what we do is we create, let's say, four to five emails that we plan to send out during that pre-webinar time before we go live. Now, not everybody's going to get those, let's say, five emails depending on when they sign up. So that Uh, first email will go out five days before the actual webinar. And let's say you sign up three days before. Well, you're not going to get every email. That's what I mean. But in these emails, what you're doing is you're doing three different things. You're encouraging them to show up live. You're inspiring them with maybe a cool story, a case study, a little tip, whatever it might be. And you're staying top of mind as well. Remember, you've got to keep reminding them they've got something cool coming up. They don't want to miss it. What I've started to do, is I'd actually talk about the importance of showing up live and how how I've seen people show up live, the more engaged they get, the more notes they take, the questions they ask while they're on live, they're walking away ready to take action right away. And it's just a different type of audience. The energy is different. So I'll actually talk about that and encourage them, mark your calendar, set your iPhone, whatever you need to do, show up live. And so that becomes part of my pre-webinar email sequence conversation. But I also create a workbook And the workbook's really simple. It might be three pages, PDF, and it's really a fill in the blank. And so I'll kind of tease them with the content we're going to go after or going to go over during the webinar. And on the webinar, they could fill in the blank with the most important information I share with them. So they're actually getting a PDF. So that, that?
1: that, that workbook is not necessarily something they work on before, but during the webinar? Is that what I hear you saying?
2: During the webinar. Yep. Huh. And so I'll say, okay, just print this out, have it ready when we go live and they'll kind of peruse through the PDF and they'll realize, wait, I want to know that or that would be great information to have. So the workbook tends to be a big um, uh, help in getting people on live as well.
1: Any tips on what to put in the workbook?
2: Yeah. So when I create a webinar, I usually do five tips to XYZ or seven steps or whatever it might be. Even if you're not using a number, you usually kind of have the flow of your webinar figured out before you start to market it. You might not have the whole thing ready, but you have an idea. And so I take the main points of my webinar and I pull them out to be the main points in the workbook. And so I'm going to make sure that the best stuff I'm going to teach in that webinar is in that workbook.
1: Um, a lot of these webinar platforms have automated you know, email reminders. Do you recommend not to use those instead create mm, something custom? So glad,
2: yeah, so glad you asked. I try to stay away from any of the tools automated system for emails. I want all those emails to come from my own email system, which I use in FusionSoft, not only because it's going to be from info at amyporterfield.com because you could probably program that into the platform, but I think it's more reliable. Using your own system tends to be a lot more reliable reliable. reliable than a webinar automated platform.
1: Yeah. And if you're using a a good system like Infusionsoft, and in our case we use Drip, it can also track all those actions that people take and kind of give them a lead score and all that fun stuff, right?
2: So true. One other thing I'll add to this pre-webinar email sequence is that one thing that's worked well for me is I will ask two to three questions in one of the emails. So I'll say, okay, before you show up, I want you to answer these three questions because I will be talking about them on the webinar. And so there are three simple questions. They're not going to take them that long to figure out an answer, but I'll ask these questions on the webinar. And now they've heard it twice and they're more likely to engage on the webinar if they've already answered them from my email. And so asking questions in your pre-webinar email sequence can help with engagement on a live webinar.
1: Okay. So up to this point, we've talked about keeping the um, the sequence from the moment the uh, the webinar is announced to the audience in whatever way, pretty much like seven to 10 days, and then sending a series of emails to kind of incentivize, motivate, inspire, dot, 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 for them to show up live. Now, when they're actually on the live webinar, um, the talk to me a little bit about like, you know, typically on these webinars, we're trying to sell something. So how do we, how do we decide what to give away free versus what to kind of you know, be the pitch or whatever, like, like how do you match, how do you kind of balance all that stuff? Talk to me. Yes.
2: It's, it's a really important balance because what you want to do with your free content is you want to answer the, what, what does this opportunity look like? What's it all about? And you're painting the picture using images and really powerful words and stories. So you're talking about the, what? When you get into selling, that is the how. So now that they are excited about the opportunity, they know what it is, they know what might be um, possible for them, they see a possible transformation or results that they want. Now, how do they get there? Well, that's with your paid program product or some kind or not physical product but online product or some kind of consulting or coaching that you're offering them and so I always say it's the what and the how but the important thing and this is where a lot of my students kind of misstep in their early webinars is that it has to be whatever you're selling has to be the next logical step so after they learn whatever they're going to learn on a webinar remember you want them to walk away feeling like they've learned something now they're ready to take the next step I'm ready to jump in what do I do next oh, well, your next step is my online course. So you want to make sure that's really aligned. And one mistake I see often when people are putting together their webinars is that most people are teaching way too much, giving away way too much that people feel like, well, I got to go process all this. I need to try this out a little bit. You gave me enough here to work with. I'm good for now. And you never want that to happen. Mm. And so you want to be careful that you don't overwhelm them with the content so that they need some time to think about it. Instead, you're giving just enough that they see the what, they understand it, they're excited about the opportunity or potential, and they're ready to dig in. And one more little tip around content that's free versus paid is your free content, not to get too woo-woo because that's really not my style, but you do need to hit on the emotions and what they're thinking, what they're feeling, the obstacles that come up for them. So typically when I'm on a webinar, all i'll just say those obstacles i'll say right now you're probably thinking but amy i don't have anything to sell so how would this work for me or amy i'm just starting out in my business whatever it might be i always bring the obstacle to the front of the conversation during my free content so that they really understand okay wait she gets me now what's my next step what do i need to do next so those are just some uh, little tips to help align the free content and the paid content
1: love it um I would love, if you could, pick an example of a webinar that you've done recently or in the past so you, so people can understand this what versus how thing. Because like in my mind, I want to over-deliver. I want to give them so much more, so much value for free that they say, how much more will I get if I pay? But what you're saying is, eh, be careful. So um, I don't know, maybe you could talk about yes. the, a webinar okay. you've done for something so people can understand and wrap their brain around that.
2: Yes. So this one's a little bit meta. So stay with me here because it's a, I'll call it a masterclass instead of a webinar. It's a masterclass on webinars, like how to do webinars. Okay. So I'm using masterclass so I don't keep saying a webinar on a webinar. So when I do my masterclass to teach people how to create a profitable webinar in that free content, I will say, okay, so when you teach or when you're on a webinar and you want to talk about yourself, here's the wrong way to do it. And here's the right way to do it. So I actually show them strategies of okay, you'll you'll do it this way, but you won't do it that way. Uh-huh. That's how you talk about yourself on a webinar. That's good. And then another tip I'll give them on the masterclass is I'll say, when you transition into the sales portion of a webinar, always use a question to transition. And the reason you do that is you want your audience to be engaging with you right at that moment when you're gonna start to sell. So I give them tangible advice. I won't let them walk away with act without getting actual examples. But when it comes to the time for me to sell, now that they've gotten maybe five or six really good webinar tips, it's time for me to sell. And I'll say, okay, If you're ready for the next step, you need a plan. You can't have a tip here, a tip there, an idea here. You need to bring it together. And what you might not know is a webinar is a system. It's not a one-off thing you do and you're done and you never do it again. This is a system that includes pre-webinar emails, the actual webinar, and the post-webinar emails. And if you look at it as a system... That's where you get results. So your next step is to create your system. Now that you've got a few tips and tricks under your belt, let's put it into a system. That's what my program does. Ah, So
1: you're selling the system. Got it yes
2: yes so that's probably even a better way next time I talk about this I'll talk about yeah the roadmap I used to say are you often say you're selling the roadmap right. um, and similar to a system or the process
1: yeah I think people are willing to pay for processes plan systems you know because it's like they want to they, ideally I would imagine they want the step-by step so they can eliminate the likelihood of failure right or they can exactly. increase the likelihood of success um, that is very, very helpful. And I think everyone who's listening right now who is going to be doing webinars or who has been doing webinars unsuccessfully can be thinking about like, you know, have I pitched a process or a system? Because if I haven't, maybe that's not the logical next step, And I love that. Um, mm-hmm. so I want to spend some time on the, uh, the after the webinar part, because, um, I think this is the part that most people fail on, right? Which is this follow-up sequence stuff. Um, And and by the way, this is, you know, a lot of people listening right now are like, man, this is complex. Well, you know what? Anything that works well is not supposed to be easy, I don't think. You know what I mean? Because if it was, everybody would be doing it, right?
2: (laughs) Right, right.
1: So let's talk about the follow-up because... And what is the follow-up, first of all? We're talking about after they've watched the webinar? Is that what we mean by follow-up sequence? Yes. Okay.
2: So I call it a post-webinar follow-up sequence, and it's an email sequence, and it's very specific. And I often tell my students, you can double your revenue. So let's say you made a 1000 bucks on your webinar. We can make another $1,000 just in the post-webinar sequence, if not more. Wow. And this is how you do it. The first thing you do is you send a replay. Not every webinar expert will say, send the replay, but I have always sent a replay because it definitely makes a difference not everyone's going to show up live as you know why leave that money on the table right so I send a replay but it's always a limited time replay so let's say after the webinar in five days your cart is going to close so now they have about four more days to watch that replay before cart close day so the very next day you send the replay and you mentioned that you you talked about the special offer they can watch it and learn more but really that email is about what they're going to learn in the, in the webinar, if they missed it. So that's the first email. Are we going only to send. sending
1: that to people that didn't show up live or we send it to everybody? Well,
2: you can do two ways. If you're just starting out, keep it simple and send it to everybody. Thank those that were there live. If they wanted to catch it one more time, here's the link. If you missed it, make sure to watch it. If you're getting a little bit more advanced, definitely we segment. If you watched it live, you're going to get a link to the replay, but the bulk of the email is going to be more about the program I pitched. Right. And if you weren't on, The webinar, then I'm going to not make it all about the pitch. So, the second email you're going to send, and you can kind of mix up the order of these, but in that follow up sequence, you want to send an email where you walk through. Your offer. So it's usually the longest email in the post-webinar sequence, and you're telling them exactly what they're going to get. So it's no longer talking about the webinar or the replay that is in the past now. It's all about the offer and the fact that the timer is ticking, it's time to buy. And so you talk about each module, what they're going to get, what's in it for them, the transformation you're promising. So this email is pretty lengthy, but it's detailed. And a lot of people say, no one's going to read an email that long. Here's the people that read that email, those that are genuinely interested in buying. I promise you this is a popular one inside my sequence in so many of my students. So from there, you also want to include an email with a case study, telling a a quick story about one of your students, telling maybe a story about you and the success you've seen if you didn't talk about that on the webinar, a case study, some kind of testimonial. You want to show some social proof in this email. Another email that I love to send is an FAQ email where you're literally putting the objections that they're thinking in front of them. And I love to do like the top five uh, frequently asked questions about the program or about the process or the roadmap or whatever it might be. But the question and the response is in this email. That's one of my most popular ones as well. Another one, if you want to add another email to the mix, it depends how aggressive you want to get with your emails, is an inspirational one where you are tackling the mindset blocks that are keeping them from taking that leap and buying. That tends to be a really popular one as well. And then finally, on the Final day when that cart is going to close, you are sending an email that is about the time running out. I love putting timers that are active in the actual email. Motion mail is a tool that I use. You open up my email and that timer is ticking away as you're reading my email. Very powerful. And I tend to send more than one email on cart close day. It was something I was very nervous about in the beginning. I'd never go back. It makes a big difference. But those are basically the types of emails you you would send in a post webinar email sequence.
1: Okay. So one of the logical questions that comes out of this is do webinars only work if I am quote unquote closing the cart, which kind of implies the product is no longer going to be available for sale um, because certain businesses don't necessarily have a cart close. And what if they don't? I mean, what's your thoughts on that?
2: Yes, so I have some thoughts on this one. You do not need to close the cart. I have three programs right now that I do evergreen webinars, so I'm not live on the webinars, but they run every day. And you can buy my product anytime right now during the year. However, if you sign up for a webinar, you can't just go to the sales page. To get to some of my to get to my programs, you have to go through a webinar. It's a whole strategy for another conversation. But when you sign up for the webinar, you are considered To be entering into your own funnel. And there's a timeline for the bonuses that I'm going to offer on that webinar. And so we use a tool like deadline funnel, which is probably the most popular one where everyone's in their own deadline. And so I make it really clear that if you do not buy by this date, the bonuses will go away. And so let's say you click on that link the day after the deadline. It takes you to a page where you can buy my program, but there are no bonuses available on that page. So it's total, full integrity. We gen, we really do take the bonuses away. But my thought on that, Mike, is that you have to have some kind of urgency or scarcity or people just won't take action.
1: Well, I kind of like this because... The fake scarcity stuff is kind of like there's a special price that's going to go away, but that's right. not real because we know that anybody could, you know, figure out a way to find that. But I like the idea of having the price be the same and like having the incentive or the, you know, the the special gift, not just, just go away. It seems a little more... Uh, higher integrity, I guess I should say.
2: Yeah, it's a tricky one, for sure. So I had to kind of figure out what felt best or what felt right for me. And that one felt good. But you're right to to pretend like something is going away. It just didn't feel right. Talk to me
1: about live webinars versus um, not live webinars, like that's another area that a lot of people are not sure about. Talk to me about it that a little
2: is. bit. So last year in 2017, it was my year of automation, where the goal was to do these automated or evergreen webinars and not do any live launches. And I did an entire podcast about this because there were pros and cons. Now, it was very profitable, but I will tell you it was not as profitable as if I were doing the webinars live. There's just a perceived value with a live webinar. Plus, of course, you're there to answer the questions in the moment. I started to, at the very end of last year, go live on video where they saw my face as my webinar was live. Mm -hmm. And that added a whole other dimension of connecting with people. And so I really do believe that if you do live webinars or versus evergreen, you're likely going to see a higher conversion on those live webinars. So that's one thing. However, you've got to remember when you're doing evergreen webinars, you can run those every single day, seven days a week. And so they were still incredibly profitable because they ran all year. And so I can't um, I can't say that it wasn't worth it. However, one big thing for me is I lost that connection with my audience last year for, when I wasn't doing live webinars. Remember, that's the number one way I promote. And so I love that connection. I love to see their questions live. I love to be there with them. And for as a marketer, I lost some of that excitement last year because I didn't have that. So My suggestion is you explore a mix of evergreen and live webinars, exactly what I'm doing this year. I'm still running my evergreen webinars, but we've got some great live ones planned as well. I think it's a nice mix.
1: Do you have a recommended tech for uh, the recorded stuff?
2: So yeah, if if it was evergreen, um, I like easy webinar. Actually, I like a lot of them. Easy webinar, ever webinar. Um, There's so many different ones out there, but those two are probably my favorites.
1: Now you said that you actually started experimenting with showing your, uh, your camera on your computer, your yes. face. Talk to me about like that a little bit. Like, did, did you leave it on all the time? Was it just in the beginning? How, how did so, that work?
2: Yeah. You? What I did is I, I used ac- zoom. So I usually always use go to webinar, but I used zoom this time and, Uh, We set it up so that I was half the screen, and then the other half the screen were my slides. Hmm. And I really love that because they saw me talk to them, but they could also see the content. My webinars are pretty um, heavy in terms of the lessons, and I've got a lot of examples to show them. So the slides were important, but I also wanted that personal aspect. Now, there was a portion where I would go just the slides. And the reason for that is I wanted them just to focus on the content. It wasn't important that they saw my talking head. I wanted them to really get the lesson I was teaching them. But then I would come back. So I'd go back and forth. Now, during the sales portion, there was a time that I was just me, live on screen without any slides. And I thought that was important while I was selling. So I tried a mixture of both.
1: Are you... um... When you're doing your webinar, I mean, obviously you know your content pretty well, but are you all, are you hiding the comments so they're not distracting you? Are you, and, and when you are showing your face, is there some sort of a, I would imagine you wanna look at the camera when you're talking to them like you would be <laughs> like if you're up on the stage the social media marketing world, but if you have all this stuff going on on the screen, one of my yes. fears would be like they'd see my eyes are being distracted. I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts? That's on a that?
2: great question. So number one is I do not look at any of the comments during a live webinar, unless there's a big exception to that. If I ask a question right. and which we should be asking questions and getting engagement, I'll look at their responses. But when it comes to while I'm teaching or when I'm in the pitch, I don't look at the comments because it is very distracting and I just stay with my content. Now I will tell you, this is an interesting question you ask because when I decided to go live with my face showing on camera, it was a different ball game because when I usually do webinars, I don't do that and I use my slides to guide me. The, I practice enough that when I see the slide, I know what I wanna talk about, but I read some of the content on the slide and that makes it a whole lot easier. The minute that camera came on I did feel some tension or some stress around, holy cow, I can't just look at the slides the whole time. I did, um, (laughs) you will see my eyes go down to the slides a few times and I think it was fine. It wasn't too distracting. Are you looking
1: at a version of yourself or do you hide that so all you see is the slides and you just know in the back of your head they're looking at you?
2: Okay, so this is is where you get to hear my ghetto side of things. (laughs) So I have a camera in front of me and I had on a chair boosted up right underneath the camera my slides on a clicker. And so I would click the slides and I could just uh, put my eyes down a little bit and then back up. Ah. So I, I was very um, uh, aware that that could be an issue. So that's how I set it up.
1: Huh! Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> like, you know what it's like when you're live in front of an audience at a conference, um, you got to look at your slides, you know, I mean, yes. like, even if it's just a picture, but it's going to prompt something in your brain. So like people are used to you looking at your your deck when you're live in front of an audience in person. So -hmm. it's really not a problem if your eyes look away a little bit. You'd really have to know your stuff to not look at all. You know what I mean? Right.
2: I couldn't do it. I would never. It's like a security blanket for me at this point.
1: So do you find that's more for someone who's super comfortable in front of the camera or do you recommend people right out of the gate experiment with turning the video camera on?
2: You know that's a great question. I think I would not turn the video camera right out of the gate. I mean, I've been doing this since two thousand and ten. so it's just <laughs> this year that I've started to experiment. I probably should have tried it a few years ago. I say do some webinars without the video camera on first and then move to the video camera.
1: but you get you I'm assuming you got feedback. people love to see your office or wherever you are, right?
2: Our conversion rates were higher on on that uh, why, why set do you of think webinars. that is? I believe that it's where, Things are going with social media in general. We're so used to seeing video now in stories and on feeds. And I think it's just an extension of that. And when you're selling, if they see your face, there's a whole added level of trust that wasn't there before. And some people, even when I'm live and not showing my face, I get questions. Is this live? Is this live? So when I jump on there, even though I guess I could still fake it, there's still that extra element of live it's more personal.
1: Do you actually, because you're talking to marketers, do you actually say the date? Like, Hey, everyone today is Monday, January, whatever, just so they know it's live or do you not? No,
2: but that's a great idea. I probably don't do that because sometimes in the back of my head, I'm thinking if this is a really good one, I'm going to turn it into evergreen. Got it. (laughs) So I kind of stay away from it.
1: (laughs) Right. Got it. Awesome. Um, well, Amy, tell people where they can find out about your course webinars that convert, because you know, this is almost like going through a webinar, listening to Amy right now, right? And some of them might be ready for the next step. So what is their next step for you?
2: Well, thank you so very much. I do have a masterclass on webinars at amyporterfield.com forward slash free class. So if you wanna check that out, that would be awesome. Mike, thanks for the opportunity to give a shout out to the course.
1: So just so we're clear, that free class is going to be an example of how Amy does Amy's stuff. So at the very least, go check it out so you can see Amy in action. And (laughs) and then uh, you'll probably get pitched the whole sequence and you can see how she does what she does. Amy, thank you so much for coming on and I look forward to seeing you very soon at Social Media Marketing World.
2: I can't wait, thanks a lot, Mike.
1: Well, I hope you found a lot of value in today's interview. And if we mention anything that you missed, don't worry, we take all the notes for you visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 289. Also, never miss a future episode of this podcast. Hit the subscribe button on your podcast player. Also, don't forget Social Media Marketing World 2018. Get your virtual ticket by visiting socialmediaworld18.com. Again, socialmediaworld18.com. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world.
0: The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.